five of the Arena Craft Podcast Kaldheim Constructed Set Review is here. Enjoy. Next card, CGB, read for us Fall of the Imposter. One green white saga. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature on chapter one and chapter two. Chapter three, exile a creature with the greatest power among creatures. Target opponent controls. So uh, my opinion is that it's in the wrong order. I uh, I really hate mm-hmm. I hate that they can play around chapter three. Yeah. And if it were chapter one, I would think it was really cool, and then I'd be happy with the bonuses. So that's my take on the card. You don't need to hear much more from me. No, I'm kind of with you. The, so so here's the problem, right? Is that if your opponent hasn't played the haymaker, then they're not going to play it until this thing expires. If they have played the Haymaker, you're going to want to deal with it more quickly than this card deals with it. So the timing is extremely awkward. Um, And this does look like a limited card to me. I think this card's going to be excellent in limited and probably not very good in constructed. How about (laughs) Torolf, God of Fury? This is when this card. Oh, this one's a book. When this card was spoiled, uh, Torolf Zeverin posted on uh, Twitter something to the effect of, "Wow, now I don't even need to win worlds. They already printed my <laughs> my card." Um, so that's kind of gas for Torolf specifically. All right, Torolf, God of Fury, two red red for a five four legendary creature god at Mythic with Trample. Whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess non-combat damage, Torolf deals damage equal to the excess to any target other than that permanent. Okay, yes, I'm remembering this card. This card is stupid. All right, my tag me in. Uh, I got I got the other side. All right, CGB is reading the other side. Torolf's hammer, one in a red legendary artifact equipment, equipped creature has one red tap unattached oh, to Rolf's hammer. It deals three damage to any target. Return to Rolf's hammer to its owner's hand. Now the equipped creature does gain, when it's equipped, plus three plus O, oh, as long as it's legendary. And the equip cost, because it had to have that too, is one in a red. So this is like a, a modified version of Hammer of Bowgarden, isn't it? Do you remember that card? This is the ultimate kind the okay. ultimate boomer reference here. Ultimate boomer reference. This card I got demolished by Patrick Freakin Shapin in the juniors division of a tournament, a limited Mirage tournament. He had Hammer of Bogarden. And it was it's one in a red and a one for three damage to any target, and for three red and two, during your upkeep, you can return it to your hand yeah. from the graveyard. And, yeah it's very innovative i'm gonna dig it patrick very innovative to have that card in limited i must say very innovative Innovative and limited agreed all right so yeah so this this card's a total book i just want to say for the record before we go into how actually good this card is i've seen people discussing this card and i think it I hope that it doesn't see too much play because if it does, it opens up these like dumb rules interactions where you get this stupid chain lightning kind of effect going around the board. And I just think it's really stupid and a bad design and I don't like it. All right. Okay. That's, that's the end Got of my it. rant on this card. I will hand it over to you, CGB. I don't even know what you mean by that. And I don't think I want to. Um, 
I mean, four mana for a 5-4 trample without other abilities isn't any good in current format, so you need the other side, to, you need the rest of the card on the creature side to be good to make it castable. And it says, whenever a creature or planeswalker is dealt excess non-combat damage, you deal damage equal to the excess to any any target other than that permanent. Which can um, be face. By the way, I, it, it can, I guess if you blast, it's, it's gotta be non-combat damage. I guess if you blasphemous act with this, and this is way outside of arena, 13 to every creature, then I guess you did it, you know? Yeah. You so really there's did it. <laughs> this, it's uh, until like this works with volcanic salvo, I guess, which I believe is six damage to two target creatures or planeswalkers all right how uh, about like shatter that. skull smashing yep it works with that the problem is you're not going to just get to keep a four mana five four trample sitting around until you get to make this play that's not how standard works which is why it's a freaking commander card just an, another commander card in our set and that's fine I, i'm starting to enjoy commander more and more and more and I actually am glad I'm playing it because it helps me look at a card in my card evaluation. And instead of being like, why is it like this? I just go, oh yeah, commander. But I mean, it's a fact. Some people get mad. What do you mean it's a commander card? This is a standard set. You're a standard review. No, that's why it exists. That's, that's what it's here for. Yeah. This is one of those cards where I just decided I wasn't going to like it. So okay. I just don't like it. I, Screw this card. I love trying to imagine the play pattern on the backside. Like, yeah. that's my favorite. Flip, flip it over really quick. <laughs> so you're, you're telling me that you play, on turn one, you play a one drop. That isn't Fervent Champion, because then we'd almost be getting into playable range. But, but you play a one drop. And then on turn two, you can play this hammer. And on turn three, you can equip for two mana this hammer to that creature. If it if that creature is somehow a one mana one one that was legendary, you'll get plus three plus zero. Oh, but otherwise, you get literal no bonus. And the next turn, the next freaking turn, you can unattach the hammer to deal three damage to something. But can you pay two mana to equip it again to set up the lightning bolt effect for next turn? No, it returns to your hand. You have to replay the hammer again before you even get to re-equip it. It right. is so embarrassingly bad. I've got it, CGB. Isumaru, Hound of Conda. We really did it. <laughs> yeah, Historic is on fire. Good job. Look out. It's a dumpster fire. That's what it is. Yeah, I think the idea with this card... One of the things that makes the god side more playable is if you were in for the equipment and then later in the game you wanted to turn it back into the creature for some reason. But it's just not... Neither neither side of this card looks playable to me at oh, all. No. Like, M- move on, I'm getting angry. Yeah, I, getting well angry. I started angry, so you know what? Yeah, yep, you, you gassed me up, man. Torelf, fluff your pillows, bro. You are out. <laughs> All right. Speaking of out. Yeah, speaking of out. Okay, we got to read this card, right? Read this card, CGB. Divine Gambit is white, white sorcery. Exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment an opponent controls. That player may put a permanent card from their hand onto the battlefield. Oh my gosh. If you thought that we were just angry, hang out on Magic Twitter for a day and see what people are saying about this freaking card. The white removal spell we deserve. (laughs) I mean, 
You know, I think the only reason we got this card is because last set we got Skyclave Apparition. It's not even an instant. <laughs> what? 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 In what world does it hurt anyone to have this be an oh instant? Oh my gosh. Would it be playable as an instant? No. No! This spell, like, this spell arguably might not even be playable for free. If it was an instant and cost zero mana, it might still not be good. My favorite, my favorite thing about this card was a comment thread I read on Mythic Spoiler where they have the Facebook comments. And it said, I feel, if I ever feel really nice, I'm going to run this card and all my opponents will, and my opponents will enjoy turn three Ugin. That's what I'm saying, man. I know, I know. But the next comment was, actually, this can't target Ugin. Ugin's a planeswalker. (laughs) I know, whoosh, right? Totally missed it. All while pointing out that this card is even worse than that. Uh, Because you can't even target an Ugin if there's one on the field. No. No. <laughs> so let's just talk about the first scenario that will make you go, thanks, I hate it. Your opponent plays the Great Henge, you exile it, they get to play any other card in their hand for free. Did we feel good about that exchange? No, we did not. No, we did not. It's like at that point, bro, just play a freaking disenchant. Just swallow your pride and play a disenchant. Are, are you aware of how fine the shuffler is? Because <laughs> what you're going to do is exile that great henge, and what is your opponent going to play? Put into play for free? A great henge! Another great henge, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Good job. Or just, Good job. you know, whatever was the best permanent in their hand. Like, can you imagine, okay, you're playing against your Demir control opponent, you hit their Maze Mind Tome, and they just get either A, a free Ugin, B, a free Ashiok, C, a free Shark Typhoon. I mean, damn. I'm, I'm going to step on the throat right now of the person who's already typed up and is about to hit enter on the comment on YouTube. Dranith Magistrate with this is busted. <laughs> okay. It's not. We really did it. You didn't do it. Oh, we really did it. And then we follow that up with, I don't know, some actually good card. Anything. (laughs) (laughs) This card would start to become interesting if you could hit your own stuff, right? Like, now we're kind of talking. That would be cheating, and somebody would make a nice combo out of it. But, yeah, this this card is a waste of cardboard, and we've already talked about it so much, I'm regretting my choices. I know, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so we got our dig in. All right, well, this is an, this is a card I want you to read, CGB, because I think it is only fair. It's only fair. Okay, Tibalt's Trickery is a rare instant, one in a red. Counter-target spell. Uh... I can't. I can't finish it. You, your, <laughs> your turn. You go. I can't finish it. We broke the CGB. <laughs> He's. His camera became pixelated. Steam started coming out of his ears. Is nothing sacred? <laughs> Godzilla smashed through the window. The color pie is a lie. Okay, there's more text. Um, choose one, two, or three at random. The spell's controller mills that many cards. Then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they may put the exiled cards onto the bottom of the library in a random order. Dranith Magistrate is busted with this. Busted. It's not. 
Teferi's actually busted with this, isn't it? You're playing blue already. What do you need? <laughs> just play a real just play a real spell. counter spell. Okay, I now know what this card does, but I probably had to read it like five times to really understand. So tell the people in plain English what this card's doing. So you counter a spell, but the opponent will then get to counter a. They'll get to cast a different spell at random from their deck for free. Uh, the the choose one, two, or three at random part is des- and then milling is designed to mess up people who try to stack the top of their library. Um, either in response to this or if you counter your own spell. Like if you knew for sure you had a certain card on top of your library, you might want to counter your own spell to get to cast it for free. But because of the random nature of the mill, you can't really achieve that unless like you scried two and you got lucky. Really lucky. Like one in three lucky. So it makes the whole countering your own spell to get a specific spell next to impossible. But you can counter your own spell to try to hit a random spell from your Just deck. And something it is, yeah, yeah, it is a different name. So if you counter a Great Henge, the opponent won't get to cast a Great Henge because mm, it right. says a card of a different name. Right. So if you count, if you do this on your opponent's spell, basically this is what happens. I hate the wording on this, and I'm not the only one, where they say choose one, two, or three at random. It's not you choosing. It's the game chooses at random, all right? <laughs> so that's the first thing. So, so okay. this, this is the play pattern. Your opponent casts a spell, or you cast a spell. You cast this, and if it resolves, you counter that spell. And then Arena mills one, two, or three cards. Um, okay, yeah, so that's right. It's controller mills one, two, or three cards, and then they exile cards from the top until they get a non-land card that wasn't the spell you counted. And then they get to cast that one right on the spot without paying its mana cost. So, you know, if they hit their Ugin, you cry. If they hit, like, I don't know, a counter spell or some other random instant that doesn't do anything in the current situation, then you smile, because you got a free counter spell, basically. But the real weird thing is just that we're playing counter magic in red. So, like, how does... (laughs) how does this change things cgb like what is this why was this card printed my favorite theory about why this card was printed is because some people will find it fun okay it's Um, just like a bit of good times right this is like just like some stupid thing for you to get your opponents with on the ladder yep i i think that there's a number of mechanics and that wizards is consciously trying to move them into more colors so that they can reach more people and that people can try them. And this is a way to get a counter spell into red that feels red. We've, we've heard that kind of term of, we want to get enchantment removal into black, but it has to feel black. So we have Feed the Swarm. They have to pay life for it, and they can't remove their own enchantment. Tybalt's Trickery is kind of the random chaotic nature of red combined with um, countering spells, which is blue, which makes me wonder why it's not an is it card. Why isn't it one blue, one red for this effect? But... It is what it is. It is what it is. And the coolest thing I can think of that it could have been used for in Standard in a different world is if you hit the second spell from their Fires of Invention, they can't cast it. That's pretty cool. But that's not the world we live in, is it? Yeah. Yeah. You do have to admit that some red mage is going to feel so gleeful when they queue up against you 
and you just, I don't know, shatter this guy. And you're like, it's some stupid red deck. What are they going to do about it? And then they Tybalt's trickery you. You have to admit, there are going to be some pretty smog mono red mazes I, out there. I will walk out of this podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, bring it on, man. Um, I will. If, if you hit me with a Tybalt's trickery and I get to cast a spell for free and you beat my face in, you know, it, it happens. But I don't think this is a playable card. Dude. I'll tell you what, this is definitely, definitely, definitely going to create some memorable clips on Twitch, is what this is going to do. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to play mono red, con- like counters. I'm going to play mono red, mono red counter spells yeah. because w- what content, like, that's great content, right? It is. So. I mean, you've already played like red, reddish control decks, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to see your mono red control deck. Oh, that's no. I yeah, see. it wouldn't be a control deck, it would be like mono red tempo yeah (laughs) the only control cards would be this i'm looking forward to that man bring it on john god of winter two and a green for a legendary snow creature god three three so okay cue up the cue up the john snow jokes all right dun 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 you know nothing john snow i know nothing because i have not seen john snow you know nothing (laughs) Okay, we had a little fun time. Back to the card. Whenever John attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. That is some effect. But wait, there's more. John Snow has a backside. Am I supposed to read it because it's blue? You yeah. said you're the green mage. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'm toss the blue that mage. To you. The backside. Oh, John Snow's backside. We have missed it. <laughs> Cauldring the Rhyme Staff, one blue-black, legendary snow artifact. Tap, you may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. So, fairly powerful card, for starters. So, yeah, let's start Let's start with uh, Jorn Snow's first side. What are you going to do with this, Green Mage? Okay, so this is no Wilderness Reclamation. Let's start there. You... A of all have to have this live long enough to attack, and B of all has to survive the attack if you want to get more than one untap out of it. So the, I think the immediate thing is people read this card and it says untap, and you're like, oh my god, it's busted, it's so crazy, and maybe it may end up being somehow, but yeah, it's no wilderness wreck. So we really have to like construct particular scenarios i don't know i mean maybe maybe a three three for three that is easy to cast that has this ability is just good enough sometimes but i need to like i need to see more of a shell to have that effect be really convincing in a snow deck in which every permanent is a snow permanent then getting to untap all of your snow permanents is kind of gas this thing effectively has vigilance, which is kind of cool. Anyway, that's that's kind of my initial take. What are you thinking? So I think that the way to play this card is you've got to grind. I, I don't, I mean, you might end up casting it on turn three, and it's probably going to be just okay, because the opponent will either kill it or they'll have something bigger that makes it hard to attack. But I think where this card actually shines is when you have hit a few of them and you're into the mid and late game 
So if you're just trading off a lot of resources, killing the opponent's stuff, have you have you like thought about a world where you control both sides of this card? So first of all, the staff lets you cast a Jorn on the god side from the graveyard because it's yeah. a snow permanent. So it keeps coming back. Jorn, when it attacks, untaps the staff because the staff is a snow permanent. The staff can then be used twice in the same turn, including recasting the Jorn if they kill it or like they block it with a creature. So like in the mid to late game, having a staff in play and a Jorn either on the battlefield or in the graveyard sets up a lot of nonsense. Like, a lot of nonsense. And that's not to... Like, we haven't talked about what to do with all the mana you're making. You could just be interacting with the board, or you could be charging a Crawling Barons or a Faceless Haven, or you could be just finding something else, something that accumulates card advantage on the side. Uh, There's a lot of things that... Like, I really think... This is going to sound really stupid. um, But the card plays incredibly well with itself. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's snickering like a, he's, you're snickering like a middle schooler. I okay, I, I definitely created this world I'm living in. <laughs> if there's one person you want to play well with, it's definitely yourself. No, so. no, don't do it. Don't do it. John, John really knows how to wield his own staff. You know what no, I'm saying? No, no, stop. No, the, uh, I, I did this. So I totally agree. It's very powerful and has a lot of potential for nonsense. One of the things I want to point out is that this is a mana generator, but it is not a mana doubler. It untaps your stuff at the beginning of combat. So it basically means you got to use the mana first main or the first half of your turn, and then you got to use the other mana for the remainder of your turn or on your opponent's turn. So as far as I know, there's like very little way to exploit that untap like in that very specific moment with the trigger on the stack in your declare attackers step you have the ability to tap all your lands untap them and then potentially tap them again not that different or 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 do you think about the declare attacker step yeah with this trigger on the stack if you had all your mana open yeah you could do an instant so if if we had nexus of fate you could do it right there yeah so wilderness reclamation yeah I was going to say, like, you could maybe power out an Embercleave or something. It's That's just attacking creatures, right? They don't have to be tapped to do the Embercleave reduction. Is that correct? Yeah, it's just attacking. So okay. you could, on turn four, play Questing Beast, attack with both, play Embercleave. Yeah. So there's, there's things like that that you could potentially do. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's something. Maybe. I I, I still like kind of this mid to end game almost loop and that's not taking into account the other snow permanence you can play out of your graveyard with the staff so yeah i i i think it's pretty cool it's a powerful card it's a sweet card whether it ends up being a standard playable card or playable in any format just entirely depends on what else you might be wanting to do around that stuff but i'm feeling you definitely a card to keep an eye on cardua's vicious return Two black red for an uncommon saga. You may sacrifice a creature. When you do, Cardur's Vicious Return deals three damage to any target. Chapter two, each player discards a card. Chapter three, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. It gains haste until your next turn. Some interesting potentials here. The first and second chapters set you up 
for the third chapter. So that's kind of part of the joke with the card. There are a number of discard payoffs in this set, which are cool. I kind of love the idea of playing this with the uh, Turgrid on the battlefield. That's going to be fun. Or getting back the Turgrid for free on Chapter 3 and then doing other stuff. Yeah, or or if you have the Turgrid in play, I don't know, you might be able to snag whatever your opponent discards. This overall strikes me as somewhat of an underpowered card. Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, just that it's a self-contained reanimation trick Mm -hmm. so if you have the creature in your hand you discard it and the opponent does too which is pretty nice and then the next turn you get it back and it has haste does have haste that which is cool and that's kind of good but the opponent also sees it coming like like they know they're about to get hit so if you discard a titanith rex and bring back an 11 11 trample like they'll know if they should leave creatures or removal spells available. So I, I hate that part of the card, and I think it's too narrow. I think that there's a good chance that a lot of the times when you play it for four, you don't actually get to damage anything, which is really sad. And for me, it's also just this product of art. There aren't many good creatures to get back, you know? We don't have that game-ending card to reanimate. So I'm I'm not into this. yeah. I do agree, though, that if if you're interested in the discard a massive thing and then reanimated effects, then this card is pretty good. But I agree, we're going to need to see whatever that card would be. Probably haven't seen it yet. Maybe they print some amazingly expensive giant that just ends the game. Like, you, you need like a Dracoseth with this card, right? You need a creature which is either going to win the game the turn it attacks or effectively win the game the turn it attacks. I mean, do we have any, like, really expensive heavy-hitting creatures in Standard at the moment? Can't really think of one. It's kind of weird that they've avoided printing that for the most part. Yeah, we don't have any Agents of Treachery. We don't have... Yeah, there's no Dracoseth. No Ulamog, the Ceaseless. Yeah, there's no Ulamog. Right. This is really... We don't even have the uh, the boar, do we? The the Mm -hmm. pig. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is that's a really good point, CGB. I hadn't really thought about that. Well, I'm sure that someone will come up with something. Okay, moving on to our next card. We are going to read Harold, King of Skemfar. It's a, you know, somewhat of a derpy name for a badass elf, but we'll let it go. King Harold, one green and a black. For a 3-2, a legendary creature elf warrior with menace. When Harold, King of Skemfar, enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an Elf, Warrior, or Tyvar card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Man, they're really pushing this, like, Tyvar tribal thing, aren't they? The next card is kind of getting at it as well. We'll read that in a moment. What they're pushing is Abs tribal. You see this? Look at the two cards right next to each other. Look at them. It's like an eight pack or like a ten pack that this guy has. Yeah. And and on the saga art as well, it's like, well, we're carving a picture of him. How do we locate his defining features? More abs. I have a fever and, and the only cure is more abs. The elves turned into the jock tribe. I what, guess so. What is going on? And uh, anyway, so, all right, so Harold, (laughs) summoning up his bros, 
Um, okay, so we're looking at <laughs> we're looking at the top five, and we can get an elf, warrior, or Tyvar. And Tyvar is pretty cut too, by the way. Yeah, I didn't need that reminder, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Tyvar Keck W, as I like to refer to him. All right, so basically, we just we just play this thing, and it hopefully draws us another card. Which is, eh, like, if you build your deck properly, you're pretty consistently hitting. So the question is, is it worth the mana? Is it worth the spot on the curve? What do you think? Not not just draws a card. It does get, like, I mean, you're not going to get a land off this. It's it's going to get a player, you know, something that you want more of in this style of deck. So assuming that your top five contains one of these, great. And if it didn't, and that you actually do need them, then at least you put the five lands on the bottom or whatever. I, I, this isn't my kind of card. I, 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 I know, I know it looks fine, but people are like, the body is good. Is it? Is it three? Like, are we playing a lot of three twos? Like, Woe Strider isn't even getting as much time in standard now as it used to. Yeah. This the whole dies to bone crusher thing is a, is a pretty sad indictment of this card. It's okay. The deck might just need it. If you play this and you draw your elf or whatever card and then your opponent bone crushes it, do you feel like you're ahead in that exchange? A little because, I don't know, by the time they play their bone crusher, I guess you might play something better. I It's okay. It depends on the tempo, right? I think if the yeah. format's more about tempo, then this card's going to suffer. If it's more about card advantage, then could be Dece, I think. I think it depends what you're doing with your elves. This has menace, so it doesn't just fail the Lovestruck Beast conundrum all by itself. And if you need your elves to be aggressive, that's one thing. But what if it's the deck that we talked about that is trying to use elves for mana to play Vorinclex and Ultimate Tyvar? You know, that that's a different kind of deck. Maybe it does need velocity. So this this card might be okay, but it it depends, right? Depends on the elf shell. Yeah, I, I totally agree. My first hit on this is it doesn't go right into the deck. Maybe I'm wrong. One thing I like about this is you can get a bit more toolboxy with a card like this. So if there's a particular card you really need in a matchup, then this is going to be pretty dece, I think. So it could be a sideboard card or, yeah, like you said, combo enabler. So it definitely has options, but like I need, I need a reason. Like I don't think that just drawing the other thing is worth the three mana. Do you have any idea, like, what the non-elf warrior is that you're going to grab with this? Warriors are we dealing with in standard at the moment? <laughs> at first I said Winota, because obviously, and then I'm like, wait, that's four colors. <laughs> that is four color Winota, which has happened, all right? Four color Winota has happened. Not without Neoform, it hasn't. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, the Warriors don't tend to be green or black, right? They're, they're more in, like, the Boros colors. Yeah, they're, it can be cheap. Okay, this is foreshadowing. I know of a certain other card we're eventually going to get to that costs green, green, and makes kind of free mana based on a permanent. And this would both find Winota and cheat it into play the following upkeep. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down there kind of gross yeah kind of gross kind of meme magical christmas land yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly well all right harold keep an eye on harold could show up next <laughs> so yeah so we, we foreshadowed we foretold this next card so i didn't read it for us he to be harold unites the elves with his abs two black green one mill three cards 
you may put an elf or Tyvar card from your battlefield or from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Number two, Harold goes to the gym. Put a plus one plus one counter on each elf you control. Chapter three. (laughs) Chapter three, Harold terrifies the competition. Whenever an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature an opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Dude, this is just like a big fraternity saga is what's going on here. This is like Harold went to college and broed down. It really is. Oh my goodness. Um, it, uh, hey, by the way, aren't you glad that we have now visual aids on our YouTube channel so that they can behold these gorgeous abs and know what we're talking about? The glistening golden sea of abs. Editor, give us a nice close-up. Yeah, Good yeah. Job. Let's well really, done, editor. really get up in there. All right, so um, let's see. This card, it definitely hits the power test, I would say. Playing this for the same cost as a Tyvar and then just getting a Tyvar and then getting the rest of the saga. Like, if you're in for the Tyvar, I feel like you've got to be in for this, right? Yes, I think so. It's it's awkward that they're on the same curve, but you can, like, in a perfect world, you have both on the same turn, right? Because you play this one and you return the Tyvar from the graveyard because maybe you milled it. That would be that would be hot fire. Pretty Pretty gas. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, this also curves really well with the Harald itself, who we just reviewed, because you can, if if they kill your three two menace, then you can play this and get it back and get another creature and just keep gassing up. Yeah. Here's another thing too. That chapter three, the first time I read the chapter three, it didn't feel that impressive to me. But then when I thought about it, you basically get as many triggers as you have attacks. So you can take down one or more opposing creatures with that, and it could make that turn extremely difficult for your opponent. Like in a creature matchup, this could shred. Yeah, that the chapter three is... It's it reads a little bit win more, but nowadays you just have to win. So <laughs> really and, drive and, it home, yeah. And it's kind of tied to the back of this saga that already does two things that you want: get you more elves and make your elves stronger. So uh, that's pretty good. The fact that it's good against rogues, like it, it says, mill three cards. I don't think we're building the rest of our elf deck to mill itself. Probably not. But if rogues mills you with a bunch of rune crab activations, then you're probably going to hit something really good, like the Tyvar we talked about uh, off the front chapter, which is, that's important. Yeah. Plus, we haven't seen the whole set, but if they print some really big, like nasty, like five drop elf or something, then you might be able to just get some sweet reanimation going on, you know? Sure. What they need to, what they need to print is giant elf. An, and I, an elf to, giant. Yeah. Yeah, it fits both both of the tribal requirements we have here. Oh, and perfect. I believe this can also get a changeling, right? Uh, yes, I guess it can. So that's a thing. They, yeah, I mean, they owe us at least one big changeling, right? I I think we, so. We'll see. They they don't always. I don't think they believe that they owe us things. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just every magic player who thinks that. Well. You know, in conclusion, I think the subtext of this card is it's all about the shell. It's always all about the shell. But there are plenty of words on this card that mean nice things, and that could, in theory, all add up to make this a pretty powerful card, I think. 
So we'll, we'll just keep an eye out for the deck and see if it comes together and see if this is what we want to be doing on four. Next card. Uh, this one's an interesting one, CGB. Why don't you read this for us? Egon Spengler, God of Death. No, not, sorry. I, just Egon. I, I, don't, I don't get the reference. <laughs> you don't get... E- really? No, who's... You, Ghostbusters? It's just been a while. That's the problem. Wow, Egon Spengler is the nerdy glasses. The guy with the glasses. Okay, all right. Yeah, that guy like, was that guy was gangly. gas. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was my favorite Ghostbuster. All right, I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. He he, he collects spores, molds, and fungus. <laughs> anyway, uh, Egon, God of Death, is two in a black for a legendary creature god at six six with death touch and at the beginning of your upkeep exile two cards from your graveyard if you can't sacrifice egon and draw a card but wait there's a backside for one in a black you can choose to instead play throne of death a legendary artifact and at the beginning of your upkeep you mill a card two and a black tap exile a creature card from your graveyard draw a card so the joke is the backside enables the front side, of course. Um, although there's a negative synergy or at least a tension there because you're also kind of wanting to exile a creature to draw a card with this thing. I don't know. Is this the next Rotting Regisaur, CGB? Sort of, but not. It's, it's different for sure. I think what keeps the card playable is that line that if you can't, you have to sacrifice it and draw a card because it replaces itself. If you end up spending three mana on this card, but you can't do anything graveyard related and it ends up dying, it does brick wall an aggro deck for a turn and replace itself. Or on the other hand, you can play it as the one mana throne of death and set up a card advantage engine to go longer into the game. So the front side is good against all kinds of creature decks the backside is just fine against control decks it's following this pattern we're seeing with the double-faced gods it gives you kind of it's kind of awesome i think when they do it right i think it's legitimately awesome because it takes a card that would see no standard play if it were just the front and because it's too narrow right and there's a lot of matchups where it's not good and then it Gives it a backside where, well, in those matchups, you just play it as the backside and it's okay. It's not terrible. You have you don't have a blank piece of digital cardboard. You have a card that does something. So it's another situation like that where I think this is a it this is definitely a contender for spots in all kinds of decks. That's without building around the card. And I think that you can. Do you have any ideas for building around before I launch the the fleet, as it were, of ideas? My first build-around idea is just your opponent playing rogues. That seems like a pretty yes. good build-around. <laughs> sideboard. Sideboard for rogues. Easy. Yep. Yep. That, that way you have to do none of the work and you get all of the payoff. And if you resolve this against rogues, they're going to have a heck of a time dealing with it. I mean, I guess it does trade for the uh, trades for the, for the one drop, right? So that's a bit annoying. Does it? How many cards have to be in the graveyard for that thing to have? I death guess touch? that's true. It could line up quite nicely, right? Like you could mm-hmm. you could do it properly. Yep. So yeah, that's my first thought. And okay, so self mill, self mill shells. That's kind of digging deep because we don't currently have like a really functioning self mill archetype in standard that I can think of. So yeah, so I'll I'll pass it back to you, CGB. What are you thinking yeah. about? 
Rakdos Kroxa is close and it lacks like a good finishing move. There was a version near the end of the last season that used Embercleave, like three copies that was played in Rivals. This card with an Embercleave makes the Death Touch relevant. It's it's 13 to the dome even when blocked. That's a lot of damage. damage. (laughs) That's a lot of damage. So, I mean, we were already close Croxa with an Embercleave was pretty awesome, but Egon with an Embercleave is an absolute killer. And it, like I said, the Death Touch seems weird, doesn't it? A 6-6 six, six with Death Touch, doesn't it kill the thing it hits most of the time anyway? But Cleave changes everything. So 6-6 six, six stat line is a very relevant stat line in Standard right now because it blocks the Beast, it blocks the Mammoth with one landfall. Um, you know, it... it blocks and trades with a bone crusher even with an ember cleave on it so yeah i think that this card is definitely looks like it could be relevant and then god what was i thinking it's also it pairs well with the uh the two on death touch that mills you on etb Meyer triton yeah right which Meyer triton's definitely been a standard playable card in the past and uh good combo with this they go in the same deck this also plays pretty well with uh timur it calls the dead so those are all things that are currently in standard that could maybe team up with Egon to make it consistent. It also just has play patterns that are interesting, like with the trigger on the stack, I heartless act your creature, and that gives me two cards in the graveyard to exile, and I get in for six. You know, there's there's a lot you can do, and again, worst case, it dies, you draw a card. Right. The The only thing I don't like about it is that it has actively negative synergy with cards like Kroxa. I feel like in a Kroxa deck, you just really want to be spending those cards on getting Kroxa back, right? Yeah, you just play the other side, right? I guess. Yeah, but like, uh, I feel like that's fine, but it's probably not worth a card. Maybe it's worth a card. Maybe it helps you dig for your Kroxa. The backside is is a hard card for me to evaluate. I think this is the kind of card which, like, it doesn't look good enough to me, but it could really give your deck a lot of reach and a lot of late game. Yeah, it, it's, it's fine. I don't think either side would make the cut in standard. I think Egon without Throne of Death might be a sideboard card against rogues, but even then they just kill it with Heartless Act. It's easy for them to game plan around. I think that... Uh, I think the cards together are playable i think either side on its own wouldn't make the cut so i I think it's a perfect use of the double face card because of that yeah yeah it's a very cool design and definitely potentially playable so i'll give this like a half half thumbs up i'll definitely consider it just want to touch on this one briefly giant ox one on a white o6 giant ox cruise vehicles using its butt rather than its front side (laughs) so in other words you can crew a vehicle that requires crew up to six using the giant ox if there's any kind of silly like meme vehicle deck in standard or historic it's almost certainly going to be running this so i just think that's a cool card design who knows? Maybe they'll give us another, um, what was it, like, Pirates Schooner or whatever is that one mana crew, crew six. Anyway, <laughs> there are combos. I just twisted CGB's arm into talking about this card, and the one that we're looking for is in German, and so it's something like Demonic Lightning. But this is like a red foretell, it's like the red foretell burn spell of the set. So... Two and a red instant. 
This demonic lightning or whatever it's called deals 4 damage to target creature or planeswalker, but it has foretell for a single red. So CGB seems convinced this card's unplayable. I probably agree with you. I mean, the Soul Seer is just basically better, right? Oh yeah. Are there any scenarios in which we like the layaway? Because getting this for one mana is a heck of a deal. The problem is you do have to still pay three mana overall. Seagate Stormcaller? Yeah. Wait, does that work though? I don't know. Don't think so. Yeah, but... that's a really good question. Because it could make... It, if it did oh, work, God. that would make these cards more interesting. You're going to say like Stormwing Entity or something like that. But you still need a target. <laughs> and I just... I don't believe. Yeah. I just... I thought for sure, if you had asked me what the foretell red spell is going to be, it was going to be lightning bolt. A hundred percent. Yeah, going and face I, would be big. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, would, I, would, I would tell you that's a card. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you that four damage to target creature or planeswalker with nothing else on it is a card. I just don't believe that. Yeah. The, yeah, man, here's the problem is like, if red if there are red decks in this format that are dicking around in the first few turns then this might show up the problem is when was the last time a red deck ever dicks around in the first few turns if it did five damage i believe it because the big red decks play soul seer i play a lot of soul seer because of lovestruck beast but yeah. it's four damage it's not yeah. enough yeah i i agree this just doesn't seem to slot into the format so it's going to take a very different meta i think for this card to show up why don't you tackle this demon for us? Burning Rune Demon is four black black creature. Demon Berserker. Mythic rare. Six six flying. When Burning Rune Demon enters the battlefield, you may search your library for exactly two cards not named Burning Rune Demon that have different names. If, if you do reveal those cards... An opponent chooses one of them, put the chosen card into your hand and the other into your graveyard and shuffle your library. TLDR wall of text. Look for two cards. You get the one your opponent chooses. The other one goes in the in the bin. What do you think? All right, so I think this is 100% a card that I would love to cast to resolve and have hit the battlefield. Sounds great. The problem is it's six mana. This reminds me of Demon Lord Bells Unlock a little bit. Powerful card. I don't know whether this is going to see play. All right, I'll, I'll help fix some of your issues, okay? Yeah. The problem is six mana. You are 100% right. So let's, let's stop paying six mana. Let's knock that stuff off. Let's like reanimate. Let, is that we what can, we're thinking? If you want to, we can reanimate this with the Rakdos Saga. Yep, could that could be a very good thing to be doing. Oh yeah, and if you're already doing graveyard stuff, putting more things into the graveyard that you might get back or that have impact from the graveyard is a good move. Yes, I I love the idea of you get two cards and you're getting value out of either of them either way, right? Mm -hmm. Like that that's pretty gas. Oh yeah. So then the other idea is titan's nest 
This this is a single color card, which has been very hard. Now, if you haven't played much of the Titan's Nest Sultai control deck, there are a few people very devoted to this deck. There's like one person in particular who plays it every day in Mythic Best of One, so I play them all the time. But this deck is all about getting Titan's Nest down and then using a stocked graveyard, thanks to a card like Thirst for Meaning or Reign of Revelation, to cast a Shark Typhoon or a Garrick, the six-mana Garrick, like super cheap, and then play multiple counter spells to defend it so that you can hold all that open in the same turn. And one of the bigger issues with it is, Gar- like when you talk about those cards like Garrick and Shark Typhoon, they still need other things to be good and start taking over the game, kind of. Garrick making a bunch of tutus isn't always good enough. So with Burning Rune Demon... Not only do you get another card in your hand, you get another card in the graveyard to keep fueling the nest. If you reveal a negate and a Ashiox erasure, for example, then the opponent's going to have a hard time removing that demon either way. And you have another card to fuel with Titan's Nest. And remember, Titan's Nest says it has to be a colored card, which is one of the things that's tough about it. You can't play Ugin with it, or you can't play X. X spells you can't play with Titan's Nest. So this fits the Titan's Nest conundrum. What do you think of it that? It does. Yeah, it's, that's pretty gas. The other card I was thinking about with this, card that hasn't showed up in Standard, but maybe if we get more powerful cards like this, it could, is the Sultai Ultimate. That, that was my next one. That was the yeah. next thing I was going to talk about. That This definitely fits the requirements for Emergent Ultimatum, yeah, which is single-colored cards. Yes. Yeah, like like imagine you, you fetch this, you fetch Shark Typhoon, and you fetch some, I don't know, Kiara Best the Seagull yeah. or something. And one of the cards you reveal if they don't if they give you this is another emergent ultimatum. Is another right? ultimatum. So they can't like if they just don't want to give you this card. They really, really, really don't want to give you this card. And then you get the other two, you know, you get like thirteen mana worth of, of game affecting spells. So I don't know, man. That the ultimatum could start showing up for sure if we get enough of these. Yep, that's another card I've played with more than probably other humans is the Emergent <laughs> Ultimatum Ramp deck, and it does not suck. <laughs> it doesn't suck. I, I have also played... I've played it more in Historic because you have a lot of options there, but like if you do the thing, you really do win the game. So, And I'll, I'll say that that deck, at least my version, is a Yorian deck, and blinking this with Yorian just sounds <laughs> so nice. That is fun. That is fun. So yeah, so this is another one where the power is definitely there, but the shell needs to be competitive. Yeah, it'll be a niche player for sure. This isn't like an automatic in Rakdos or mono black control or things like that. It's a niche card. Yeah, yeah, but definitely this is a card that like if it resolves, it could just put your opponent in an incredible bind. So, so I, I dig it. I dig where they're going with it. This next card, interesting one, Crush the Weak, two and a red, sorcery. Crush the Weak deals two damage to each creature. If a creature dealt damage this way, it would die this turn, exile it instead, and it has foretell for a single red. So this is kind of like the cry of the carnarium of the set. Obviously it's in red, but does similar things. You know, this is one where the foretell can actually be pretty gas like in in the in the carnarium decks you're definitely wanting to hit this on three which you still do if you foretell it but it's kind of gas 
being able to also have mana up when you do your cry, you could do things like leave up essence scatter or leave up interaction for your opponent's next turn. Or if your opponent has anything to disrupt your cry of the carnarium, then you have access to extra mana. So who knows whether red shells are going to want this kind of effect, but uh, definitely one to keep an eye on, I would say. I think it's a very good sideboard card. I think it has some main deck potential. I think that its existence is fun because now if you foretell a card on turn two and you have red mana showing, your aggro opponent will be really thoughtful about whether or not to play another creature just because of the existence of this card if they are paying attention. So that's kind of fun. I will point out, like people are saying it's Cry of the Canarium. It has it has a lot of problems compared to cry because for example um protection from red still stops this uh indestructibility still stops this so don't be confused by the exile claws being attached to two damage to each creature it still doesn't kill a seasoned hollow blade if they want to discard or anything that selfless savior protects so uh, just something to keep in mind yeah, very, very good point. And I mean, the real thing working against cards like this in Standard at the moment is just like, who is this good against? It's not It's not currently hitting any, you know, of the decks that are good in the format. However, if like there's a Go Wide Elves deck or if some other tribe ends up being kind of low to the ground, then this card could definitely come out of, of sideboards for sure. How about this next one, CGB? Two White White for this card called Starnheim Unleashed. It is a sorcery, a mythic one at that. And it says, create a 4-4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. If this spell was foretold, create X of those tokens instead. The foretell cost is XX white. Okay, so I know you have thoughts on this card, but... My, I just want to get like the initial gut check from you. Do you think that this card is currently overrated or underrated? I haven't seen what anybody else has to say about this card yet. Oh, okay. Do you imagine this card is currently overrated or underrated? I would imagine it's incredibly overrated. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's definitely overrated. It, it reminds people of Decree of Justice and Entreat the Angels, so immediately the boomers are just out of their mind. Just salivating that, that, over That's this. what I say. Okay, so so that was the initial check, but I'm definitely curious to hear your your kind of more measured take on it. What do you think? I think that I think that most things about this card are just out of date for current format. I I mean, if you just pay four mana for a four four angel warrior creature token flying in vigilance, there's a lot of times when that just wouldn't do, and. Like that's like that's where we are, right? That just wouldn't do right now. No. So that means you have to foretell to feel good about yourself, which means you have to pay the two, and then the foretell is kind of on turn three. You can have your four four flying vigilance creature, right? That's mm -hmm. okay. Um, okay. It's okay on turn five. In theory, you can have two of them. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But remember, you did take turn two off. And that's a major cost. This card, I, I just because I say it's overrated doesn't mean it's not a good card. It's it's all right. I think it's fine, and I think contextually speaking, it can be very good. 
There are cards that reward you for having 4-4 angel tokens. We talked about the chariot with the, the cats, right? This is another card that plays with the cat chariot. There's also a saga. I don't think we've covered it yet. That's a big deal. So I'm not... I'm not saying the card is bad. I just think it's pretty medium, and I'm not sure if it's going to add up to enough. You know what this card reminds me of the most is Hydroid Crisis. Really? Okay. I'm not talking about the effect. I'm talking about the choices and the inflection points. Sure. So I think it's it's funny. When people were evaluating Hydroid Crisis, almost everybody underrated that card. And I mean, there's a number of reasons why, but I think that people looked at the mana investment and they looked at the output and they weren't impressed. Now, that card is a lot more versatile than this card, which I think is what made it end up being so good, was that um, played around counter spells really well. The life gain could be surprisingly relevant in some aggro matchups. There were just a lot of things about the card that ended up being very good. But I would just caution people against just trying to pigeonhole this card immediately because versatility is huge. And I think it's if this card is going to be successful, it's going to be on the back of it being versatile. One of the things that interests me about this card is how does it curve? So there are formats in which, for example, let's say that you do have like, let's say that Crush the Weak is part of your plan. You're playing some weird Boros control deck. This is this is theoretical. But there are situations in which you have this cool curve where you foretell a powerful card on two, you play some kind of a board clearing card on turn three, and then on turn five you get two angels. If you so if you can work this card into your curve, or like we were talking about with the chariot, right? Like if you're foretelling this on two. If you're playing the Chariot on four and making two Angels on five, there are just certain realities in which that could be a pretty back-breaking curve. So that's that's what I'm thinking about more than anything. I'm not asking myself, is this card good? I'm asking myself, are there curves and play patterns in which this ends up getting there? Uh, yeah, I, I ask myself that a lot, and usually mine come up short, but <laughs> I... <laughs> Uh, I guess I still think that the best thing with it is probably going to be the Angel Saga that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. Because if you get to make that happen with this, it's pretty epic. I would guess that we're both going to take the under on this card. Mm -hmm. This card's more likely to be a zero of than a two of to four of in the crafting guide. But don't. Don't just pull a crisis on this one and write it off. Like I, I think that this one has some very real uh, possibilities. How about this next card, CGB? Dual Strike is Red Red Instant. Uncommon. When you cast your next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost four or less this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy with a foretell of red. <laughs> I, I just want to note that i caught you discussing this card on your stream and you spent 90 percent of the time shooting down illegal scenarios for this card welcome to the life of a twitch streamer <laughs> um the i i don't know if they do it on purpose i'm sure some do and i'm sure some don't but twitch chat will just go off being like you can copy teamer ultimatum <laughs> for no. one mana for one mana please read the card 
I I just uh, yeah yep uh, that that is a regular occurrence. If you want to see me do battle with the absolutely crazy ideas that Twitch chat has, then check out uh, check out my stream. Yeah. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, new schedule. Oh sweet, yep. good stuff. As you probably said on your stream, the entire point of this card is that you have to come up with one or more spells that it combos really compellingly with. Mm -hmm. If it didn't have that four or less clause on it, this card would be very interesting and potentially busted. But it does. So we have to figure out, like, you don't just put this card in your deck. You put this card in your deck because hopefully you have some powerful, like, three or four mana uh, instant or sorcery that you can double up and hopefully like win the game either on the spot or very shortly thereafter so what have you got can you think of one of those instants or sorceries stonheim unleashed baby let's go <laughs> wow you made two angels not one yeah no this is actually a thing if you paid the x cost on stonheim to make it cost more than four mana on the turn would that render it an illegal target for dual strike yes okay so you can't on turn six you can't on six mana make four angels with this right if you said this in twitch chat i'd be making fun of you yes well i I mean that's what i thought (laughs) no this is how it happens this we need to get it for the people yep yep you're right you're right okay um i i've seen people isn't there something that like doubles a creature's power yeah there is yep yeah savage punch or something no i know what savage punch is it's that green card i i've seen that card thrown at people (laughs) (laughs) like the actual card (laughs) yeah because you know you throw a savage punch no one of my good friends who i played magic with growing up was in a feature match in round one of a grand prix against evan irwin the evan irwin and it was limited and the last thing he did before losing the match was he threw the card savage savage punch at evan irwin to say that he threw a savage punch at evan irwin <laughs> but no the, i don't know the name of the card it, it's not unleash fury but there is a card that doubles yeah. target creatures power and mm-hmm. if you do that with dual strike you double it then double it again and, and maybe your Stormwing entity kills someone yeah yeah maybe it's how much is that let's see if if so one two it doesn't go on the stack, so that's 5, 10, 20. That's 20. That's just a 20 right there. Yeah, turn 2, foretell dual strike. Turn 3, something Stormwing Entity. Mm-hmm. And then turn 4, you, you, kill. Double, you kill him. Yeah. We did it. Yeah, Format solved. Could, Get out. You, you could try it. Okay, it's pretty bad. But for starters, you could just double a Bone Crusher with this, couldn't you? Yeah, you can. And that's that's, that's like kind the of fa- what I'm that's wondering. That's like the fail case. Yeah, like how bad is it if that is the yeah. f- is it? Get it? How bad is it? <laughs> if if that's your fail case, that that could be a deck. It might not be a competitive tier 1 deck, but that could mm-hmm. be a ladder deck for sure. That is mm-hmm. a that's a turn 4 win in standard with cards that don't completely suck. I think if you're going to run dual strike in your deck, you you A of all need to have a combo that just wins on the spot pretty much every time or be of all you need to have enough things in your deck to copy that it's not going to be totally embarrassing to draw a dual strike this card does make a draw for with village rights and what if you mm-hmm. play seagate stormcaller to fuel that village rights 
I mean... How many How many cards is that? Starting to get pretty ridiculous. That's six cards, isn't it? I, I, let's see. It's one, two from the first one. One, two from the second one. And copy is... Yep, one, two. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's draw six. So... <laughs> for three you know, mana. You, you spent six... You, well, you spent three cards to draw six cards, plus whatever mana you put into it. And you have a two-one body. Did it. Yep. Oh, we are really doing it. So, I don't know. I mean, it's... it. Yeah, this is one of those cards that could just suck and you should never play it. But uh, keep an eye out. One of the problems is that they're not making, like, three and four mana sorceries that are really breaking the game these days, most of the time. So, I don't know. That concludes part five, but keep an eye out for part six, which will be releasing later in the week. Bye for now. 